This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. We live in an era of unprecedented access to information, news, and media. But what happens when all that information leads you to suddenly realize you spent the majority of your childhood in a cult? Well, we can tell you. Join me, Jessica Goforth, and Kathleen Reynolds as we take you into the world of cult recovery after all the emotional, psychological, financial, and sexual abuse we experienced as part of Bill Gothard's Advanced Training Institute. On our podcast called Leaving the Village, we talk candidly about our journey out and interview other survivors whose experiences will boggle your mind. We also cover breaking news as scandals continue to rock the twisted world of IBLP. Subscribe to Leaving the Village today so you don't miss a single episode. regret to inform you you're on chapel probation a podcast that takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities particularly azusa pacific university where i taught english for 15 years i'm scott okamoto i'm writing a book about my experience deconstructing all the way to agnostic atheism while teaching at apu if i'm honest there's a part of me that would just be thrilled to have conservatism conservatism eradicated from the earth. The world would be better off without bigotry, blind allegiance to traditions that may or may not be beneficial to the world, and a complete unwillingness to learn anything new. Forget the Trump and post-Trump era, where conservatives have simply lost their goddamn minds and have given up all pretenses of any kind of political or ethical philosophy. I'm talking about like the good old days. when like William F. Buckley and James Dobson promoted whiteness and Christianity as the only acceptable identities. Oh sure, there were arguments, political arguments, for less government and more free markets, less taxes and spending versus bloated government programs, but even in those days, conservatism was fucking up the world. It's not even just a Republican versus Democrat thing. There are conservative Democrats, like fucking Joe Manchin, who most of us would like to throw into the fiery pits of hell if we believed in that sort of thing. The Southern Democrats, or Dixiecrats, who railed against integration in the 60s were conservatives, despite being Democrats. If you're listening to this podcast, which I guess you are right now, you know what I'm talking about. Unless you're hate-listening, in which case... Well, keep listening. I have some things for you today. All that hatred for conservatism is just part of my worldview. The other part, and goddammit, tries to see humanity in people and tries to allow for an opportunity to learn and grow, depending on the day. Most of the conservative students at APU were decent young people but they had zero chance of unlearning their bigotry. And believe me, I I tried. I asked questions. I presented views different to theirs. I pointed out blind spots. I pointed out absolute unmistakable hypocrisy in their views. And, well, nothing, whatever. They would just laugh and call me evil or liberal. Same thing to them. 
At the very least, my job was simply to make their day uncomfortable. There were always those moments where I contrasted their views with actual biblical views or showed beyond a shadow of a doubt how their views were pretty fucked up. Their faces would fall, the smiles would fade, and for a moment, a glorious moment, the notion that they could be wrong flashed across their dull minds. But then they would snap out of it. Whatever. You're just a liberal, so whatever. I would call that moment a win. That's all I had. Hoping a seed of discontent got planted and would someday grow into a realization that they were bigoted assholes and they didn't need to be. More importantly, though, I wanted them to know I listened to them. I, I tried. And I cared about them as humans. Goddamn. I forged relationships with many of my conservative students. And it wasn't easy for me. But I made a conscious decision to extend a hand of friendship. Granted, some students slapped away that hand, but I'd say most accepted it. I write in my book about a friend who told me she was shopping at Ikea for curtains or something, and she was standing next to a group of young women with APU sweatshirts. So she asked if they knew me. A couple of the women smiled and said they were actually in my class, and they liked me. But they lowered their voices as if to keep their words on the down low and said to my friend, but you know, he's liberal. My friend choked back the laughter and just smiled and nodded knowingly. She said it was as if these women were confessing some dark secret. They actually liked a liberal English professor. The horror. Some examples of conservative shit I dealt with. Let's see. The rich boy who claimed any woman who had sex before marriage was a, quote, disgusting skank who he could never marry. <laughs> The boy who claimed Native Americans should be grateful because America, quote, more than compensated them, end quote, with reservations. The woman who hated the idea of women being pastors and would argue, and as long as you let her, against women being pastors. The boy who wanted to write a paper arguing that all Mexicans are lazy. And that's in a story on my webpage, rscottokamoto.com. Uh, I did a storytelling night about that boy. Um, the boy who, after being shot down by his classmates regarding his hatred of LGBTQ people, came in with his evidence to prove quintessentially that gay people are evil. His evidence? A study, quote, study, done by a church <laughs> that surveyed a few dozen people and found, are you ready for this? Found that gay people were less likely to recycle. Never mind that this boy hated anything to do with environmentalism or that the study he cited did not pass any kind of academic muster. I think you need more than a couple dozen people. Most of these examples were swiftly and easily shot down, and none of the offenders gave a shit. They suffered a moment of discomfort that the possibility that they were just fucking wrong, but they got over it and continued their pathetic lives. So today's guest is a wonderful exception to all the stuff I'm talking about. He's a straight, cishet male who was very conservative 
when we first met. But I think we surprised each other when it became very clear that we were listening to each other. My name is Liam Young. I graduated in 2015, and my major was in English with an emphasis in writing. So let's get real here. <laughs> Some conservative music, please. Yeah. Conservatives. Am I right? What the fuck? So many false assumptions about the world and how it works. Well, guess what? There is a pipeline at places like APU where people go from conservative, evangelical, all the way to progressives, agnostics, atheists. So today, you're going to hear from Liam. Liam saw the same things many of my other guests saw. Blatant racism. Prosperity gospel bullshit. White nationalism. Not to mention the bizarre theology, or lack thereof, in evangelicalism. And, with the help of understanding friends and professors like me, he naturally went all the way to become, now let's say it together now, Today, I would broadly describe myself as Coptic Orthodox, which is the uh, Church of Alexandria, Egypt. It's a, kind of a long story how I ended up converting. But um, yeah, I'm still an adherent of that faith. And, you know, the pandemic makes going to liturgy hard, but mm. I still very much consider myself part of that faith. Ah, hmm. Did not see that coming. I guess I made a false assumption there. Maybe we should just listen to Liam describe his journey. Nice. And God willing, once the pandemic ends, I'll be able to be a more regular attendant. Wow. That's that's a long way from evangelical culture at APU. It is was <clears throat> a very long way. And it was interesting because when I first went to APU, because I had to go twice, I dropped out after a couple of years and then I went back later. But um, yeah, when I first went there, I was evangelical. And when I, you know, when I came back, I uh, I was not anymore. So it made chapel and everything else a very different experience. Yeah. Um, so let's back up. Uh, when you, how did you get to APU, um, and what were you like when you started? So when I, uh, I went to a very religious K to twelve school, that was, um, I guess you could describe it as Christian dominionist, meaning like it was a very specific kind of evangelical that was very much like, it really tied in being a Republican and being a conservative to being a Christian. And that's what I was raised with. I was raised to think that, like, no, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be a uh, a conservative, and that's that's it. And when I went to APU, that's basically how I thought. Yeah, I and could it fit, you fit in well. If I did, that. yeah. Oh, yeah, and I did too. I was, I mean, I was a working class kid, so there was definitely that sort of socioeconomic sure. tension. But as far as like culturally, broadly speaking, as far as the religious background, yeah, because I went to like faith community church. One of the local evangelical churches over mm -hmm. in uh, West Covina, and that was my the church I grew up in. So, yeah, I fit in culturally. Like I, you know, I knew what to do during chapel. I knew how to like participate in all that. Yeah, yeah, and talk bad about liberal people. And, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. So I remember meeting you, and I, th you were in the Marines. I had just in I had just enlisted in the Marine Corps Reserve. This I think the summer before I had your class. Right. So I was like fresh out of boot camp, dumb as hell. Yeah, no, I just I saw the haircut, and I think I asked, yeah. "Are you are you in the military?" Or yeah, a, I had that look still, or a punk rock or something. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a fine line. <laughs> yeah, and um, so whenever I have kids, students 
that I know are military, I try to reach out because I know that's a different culture it is. than your typical college kid. Yeah. Um, there are no recruiters in the APU parking lot. You know, like I taught yeah. a community college and you can't get through the parking lot without a recruiter finding you. And because, you know, oh, these are the lower income kids or mm -hmm. these are the kids who are doing having a hard time in college. Yeah. So I would always ask my APU students, is, have you ever seen a military recruiter here? I'm like, no, no. Once in a while, maybe once a year, they, they come. Through. Yeah, the officer ones. And they're only looking for the guys that want to be officers. Right. There's nobody, nobody trying to get you to be an enlisted guy right. over there. No, yeah. I, had to, I had to cross the street. There was a recruiting station across the street. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's where I went for, okay. the, for the local kids, for Azusa kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So whenever I have, because I grew up, I, I wouldn't grow up. I, I was born at an army base. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I think I told you that yeah. immediately because I try to, I try to, um, like I said, reach out to the military students because the the culture and the need is different for the, for the students. Yeah. And I always try to like connect with my students. Yeah. I'm also I was also very aware of how military culture can be very conservative. Yeah. Um. So I have to be careful. And I I remember I I just wanted you to know that I even if I was liberal, I was down with you know. Yeah. What you were probably about to. No, and I and I really appreciated how you kind of approached me and how you kind of made me like, you didn't like single me out, but you definitely made me aware that you understood where I was coming from. Oh. And I definitely had like, that definitely made me feel like more welcome in your class than I would have otherwise. Because you had that, you know, that reputation yeah. as the liberal professor. Yeah. Did you know this going in? I, I had heard rumors, yeah. but remember I was a commuter. Right. So I wasn't really plugged into campus culture. I didn't have a ton of friends on the campus. Right. I only had a handful of friends. Okay. So. You might very, not have taken the class if uh, you heard everything. <laughs> you know, may, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Because I was, you know, I was very much like, yeah, I'm going to prove my ideas, right? Yeah. Blah, blah. yeah I was yeah. all into that. Nonsense. Yeah, no, I love that about you. But here's what I remember. Um, sorry to deviate from your story. but No, no. I, I just, certain, there, there are a lot of, you know, it's mostly conservative, but certain students have a, have a willingness to listen that yeah. not many have. And I can count on like one hand, the hardcore conservative, like the conservative voice crowd. Yeah. I remember them. Um, who would, would disagree with me, but would be willing to engage. Yeah. And that's all I wanted. That's all I asked. You know, I didn't need, yeah. need anyone to be converted to a liberal mindset, but I wanted to be able to have a mutually respectful relationship um, yeah, and I I really respect that, especially because I would I had been like, enculturated to think that like I wasn't going to get that from a from a liberal. Yeah, I was going to get like talked down to and condescended to. Yeah, and no, that wasn't the case. Even if you were like tearing apart the people I thought were like intelligent, <laughs> like I was like, okay, but he's not he's not attacking their character yet. I mean, sometimes, but sometimes, yeah, and that can be justifiably yeah. <laughs> so in some cases. But um, yeah, you were definitely more about you know, approaching their ideas and mm -hmm. me as somebody who had like had this idea of college as this place where I was supposed to learn. I was stoked. I was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can definitely get something out of this. Even if it's just kind of understanding what I think better. Yes. Yeah. And I saw that in you. Was, was it a creative writing class? It was, it was creative writing fiction. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, the regular professor, I think she was on maternity leave. Mm -hmm. so she was. I took her class. So a lot of people showed up to that class kind of pissed, like, where's, where's Dr. So-and-so? Mm -hmm. and I was like, I started the semester kind of in a hole, like, yeah, I really wanted to take this class with Dr. It was Dr. Kern. Yeah, and Dr. Kern, great, yeah. you know, and she, but like, 
she got pregnant. So um, yeah, there I was. Mm-hmm. To half half the class was kind of pissed. Um, did you know it was October? I had no idea. Okay, yes. like, I don't remember you being upset that I no, because it was up. yeah, because it was like just my second year. I didn't really know that many of the English professors okay. yet, so I was just like, yeah. It's- so you have to picture this. The semester before, I had what I consider to be the best class I ever taught. It was also a creative writing class, and pretty much everyone in that class bought into what I was bringing. We became a tight-knit community who listened to each other and helped each other achieve our own visions for our writing. I'm still Facebook friends with most of that class from almost 15 years ago. So going into this class, it was like a shit show from the beginning. A few of the students bought into my vibe and my, my approach to writing, but most of the class hated me for daring to encourage them to write real human stories instead of Christian allegories and purity culture propaganda. The fact that Liam and a couple of other somewhat conservative students became my biggest supporters should tell you pretty much how that class went. Not well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a tough class because, like, I I never... It was one of the few experiences where I I never won over half that class. They just hated me the whole semester. Yeah. No matter what I did, no matter what I said, (laughs) I I tried everything... To try and build this, because when you're teaching writing, you want it to be a community where you feel yeah, safe to. For sure. And it just, yeah, it was it was it was a rough. hard one. Yeah, you remember? Yeah, it was rough. I remember. One of those students, um, who really did hate me, um, <laughs> she uh, she eventually, I think she came out and she joined the Haven Group, and I oh. got to know her like years later. Okay. And we had a little laugh because she was like, "Yeah, I hated you." <laughs> Oh wow! Uh, I was so she was. Yeah, I think I made it worse by trying to to re, be. I don't know. I don't. It, it was funny. It was a tough situation, especially when you got to like pinch it for a class like that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's go back to your story. You're, sure. You're a freshman. Well, no, I think this was my sophomore year because my freshman. It was right after. Oh, my, right. When yeah. You took the class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was um, sophomore. But take me back to your freshman year. What was that like when you showed up on campus and you know you see a student lot filled with like really nice cars and um people you know the way they talk about money and 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 the culture of sort of prosperity gospel so how how was that for you well i grew up in a church that was kind of prosperity gospel ish Mm. so that was sort of like that wasn't that big of a shock to me okay but the hearing people talk about like i'd hear out in the quad like i'd hear people talking about like their parents sending them money and getting mad at their parents for not sending them enough money and i was just like what are you talking about? I had just spent my whole summer working a fairly sketchy and not super safe construction job just so I could afford my basic needs for the year. Yeah. And I was just like, what are you people talking about? What planet are you from? Or I'd be talking to students about like my, what I did that summer and they'd be like, oh, so you live by yourself? And I'm like, well, no, I live at home. I can't afford that. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like this was just so I could come here. And you were a commuter. Yeah. Said. And I was a commuter. How, yeah. I was. How not, far were you commuting from? Not very far. I lived okay. in Irwindale. So that's oh, okay, not yeah. too far. Yeah. A couple miles away. Not too bad. I was surprised to learn that people lived in Irwindale. Well, <laughs> we didn't do it legally necessarily. Oh. <laughs> Wait, you were squatting on land in Irwindale? More or less, kind of. It was in complicated. In one of those uh, gravel pits? Or <laughs> yeah, it was um, where my dad worked. Oh, okay. We lived in the back in an RV. Okay. So, but I know people do live in Irwindale. Yeah. I was just oh, yeah. kidding. Uh, not <laughs> but, many. No, you're right. There's yeah. like there's like 10. Yeah. <laughs> like There's not many. <laughs> All right. And then when you left, it was It was nine. nine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I can do math. Yeah. So um, you're you're commuting. You're mm-hmm. you're sort of. Were, was any of that experience the first couple of years part of your sort of deconstruction from evangelical faith, or was did that come later in classes? It it kind of started things more like what really bothered me when what was really getting at me wasn't even like the cultural stuff. Cause I was still a conservative and I was a conservative even when I deconstructed from from evangelicalism. Sure. I deconstructed more for theological reasons. So it was more like getting into the faith and what it taught mm. and how it just didn't gel weirdly enough with the whole Bible. Yeah. You'd read St. James and St. James is like faith without works is dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. like the true religion is giving to widows and orphan, orphans. Sure. And then you have this other guy telling, you know, God wants you to be rich. And yeah. I was like, oh, that doesn't, this does not add up. There's yeah. something, it's there's a, a sign, piece here Richness is a sign of your like spirituality, right? Yeah. It's, it's if, so God rewards you. And if yeah. you're not rich, then you're doing something wrong uh, is yeah. the vibe, right? And even within like, you know, even within just the canon of scripture, you see that opposed. Right. And then when you go beyond the canon of scripture, when you read certain early church writings like St. Basil, it is not right. like a good thing to be rich. It is seen as a mark against you. Yeah. Like God will judge you for that because you didn't give everything away. Right. And as uh, Jesus said. As Christ said. Yeah, exactly. You know, I always heard students say it's very clear, you know, being gay is wrong or don't have sex or whatever. But like, that stuff's not that clear. But what is clear what's is way we more tend not clear, to pay least. a lot yeah. of attention mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, everybody's literal until it's talking about something you like, and you're like, oh, yeah. I guess I can't be literal about that. Sell then. everything and follow mm-hmm. me. Exactly. Then Paul saying, you know, don't yeah. save money. You know, don't. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so that sort of hypocrisy was sort of undermining my whole faith or at least undermining the parts of it that were built on that, you know, that evangelical foundation. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's kind of where that process started. Did you learn that about that or figure that out while taking Bible classes or was it just on like studying on your own? Part of it was studying on my own, part of it was Bible classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you yeah. have like a Bible class that you remember that stood out um, either good or bad? You know, not so much. No. Um no, it was more just like, it seemed like nobody had any clear answers for any of the, you know, the, the tensions I had. Right. And that's more what struck me, was mm. that like the questions I was wrestling with weren't even questions that were broadly even being considered in the classes I was in. Hmm. So. The, the, the questions about like money. And about money like and about like, and just about like, it felt like, in my mind at least, the Christianity I was being presented was missing some pieces. Mm. It was like somebody was trying to sell me half a car. And I'm <laughs> like, well, where's the rest of it? And it just didn't seem to be there. Wow. So. Was that, so people, when you deconstruct from something that you've long held, it can be scary. It can be, yeah. um, it can be tough. Um, how did you sort of navigate that? So it was actually, so after I dropped out of AP, I, I ran out of money and. Um, after I, your second year? After um, Halfway through my third year. Okay. I ended up dropping out. Um, I ran out of money. I didn't have the full GI Bill yet because I hadn't deployed. I was in the reserves. Oh, right. So I didn't have really any like real much support from the government at all. So I was just like, okay, I got to get myself activated and deployed and sent somewhere so I can get my GI Bill, yeah, yeah. which is itself a really serious indictment of our system. But yeah, that's that's kind of where I was at. So my family, we were, you know, we had this little Bible study group that 
my wife and I were a part of. We weren't married yet or anything. We we're just friends. We'd been friends for years by that point. But um, somebody had asked a question, like, where did the Bible come from? And they started studying the history of it. Yeah. And, you know, it was a, it didn't just drop out of the sky. The church, you know, collated it and put it together and said, yeah. these are the books that we think are, you know, that reflect church teaching. These are the ones we're going to, you know, make the canon. Right. We have stuff outside of it, but this is like, this is our Bible. And the, uh, one of the main churches that was part of that process was the Church of Alexandria, Egypt. And mm -hmm. we kept seeing a Church of Alexandria, Egypt down the road from us. And we're like, we should go check that out. Oh. So we did. And um, then I, I think I had found, at least theologically speaking, the things that had been missing. Yeah. It was a very different look at like how salvation works, how, how we're supposed to react to the world around us. Just All of it was just very different from when I had been raised and it seemed to have like filled in the pieces that I thought were missing. So. Describe the congregation. I, I assume the congregation looks very different than an APU chapel. Yeah. Uh, Egyptian. I was one of the only white guys in the room. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah. So very much not. And you know, half the prayers are in Arabic. So <laughs> you learn a whole other language too. Some of them are in Coptic, some of them in Arabic, some are in English. It just depends what day and like what the priest wants to do yeah. and what, you know, what parish you're at. Certain parishes do it all in English mm -hmm. for like converts like me or for, you know, Egyptian folks who are like second, third generation who don't have great Arabic. Yeah. So. So here's what's fascinating to me. Liam was seeing the same things a lot of us see who deconstruct from evangelical Christianity. Hypocrisy, a coziness with racism and bigotry, unfettered capitalism as some kind of like Christ-like force for good, all that and more. And while the rest of us look at the Bible as a flawed, broken mess of disparate writings spanning around a thousand years, Liam and his wife dug deeper into the texts, their origins, and earlier interpretations. Does the Bible make sense in a 21st century mindset? Absolutely not, well, to me. But does going further back in history give a more clear understanding of the Bible and its original meanings? Sure. I have zero interest in looking into that myself. But if someone like Liam sees the world and evangelical Christianity in a similar way, well, who am I to judge? I don't need religion. I like sex and waffles on Sunday instead of church. There's a blog post on that one. <laughs> but Liam finds guidance and clarity in an Egyptian Coptic church. Cool. Wow, that, that t takes a lot of courage and humility to put yourself in a place that where you're the extreme minority and um, kind of an outsider joining in another culture. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to like say, oh, I'm so humble or whatever. It was just, I wanted to know what I was missing. Sure. And it seemed like these people seemed to at least have an answer to a lot of those questions that I had. So I was like, okay, yeah, you know what, I'm going to learn about this. And eventually it took a while. I am, um, because I did eventually get activated and sent to Okinawa, Japan. Yeah. Um, And then I, so that kind of interrupted my process of learning about the faith. So I ended up having to spend like two years as what's called a catechumen, which is basically you're a trainee. You're not allowed, like, it's not an altar call. Most people, when they think of Christianity, you go up, yeah. you do the altar call, you say your prayer and you're a yeah. Christian. Yeah. That is not how Orthodox churches do it. Uh. You have to study for at least a year, sometimes more. I had to do it for two years because of the interruption. Sure. So it's not something that's like an easy faith to get into. 
Yeah. It's it's intentionally made like, no, you need to understand what you're getting yourself into here. So wow. it's a very different kind of mindset. And the one I actually really appreciated. Well, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> if you're going to give that much of your time and energy and mind to to your faith, I yeah. mean, that, you, you're definitely serious. Yeah. Did you take a class? With, I remember talking to you after Okinawa. Were, were we in another class together? No, I had actually, <clears throat> right, basically right when I got back, I started trying to get my all my stuff together, go back to APU. Yeah. And that was your last year there. And you were one of the first people I went to go see that's when right. I came back. I remember we hung out. I visited you in class. Yeah. That's Because I was there to drop right. off paperwork and you were there. And I think this was like, this was your last semester, I think. But I had, yes. I was literally, I had been back in, you know, in, in the United States for, I think a couple weeks at that point. Oh, okay. Yeah. You were one of the first people Aww. I saw when I, yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So yeah, I came by, I swung by your class, said hi. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was so happy to see you. It was, yeah. Uh, it was yeah, really it was great. Yeah. <laughs> I was still jet lagged, I think. I was yeah. still used to like Okinawa time. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you still had a very military look about you. Oh, even uh, more. Cause then I was like, cause I had just been on active duty for yeah. like the better part of a year. Yeah. So I was all gung ho and I was about to pick up and I was about to pick up corporal. So I was like, all oh, yeah, Marine Corps. And then, you know, then I got, that got cured, but yeah. Oh, uh, so were you, you were discharged from. Yeah. I, I got out in 2014. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good times. Which is another thing. That's another thing. If you're like, if you're in the reserves and you're at APU and you know, you have your whole week classes yeah, and then you have a weekend where you're out, you know, depending on what your job is out doing Marine Corps stuff in the field yeah, and you got to go right back into classes. Yeah. It can be, it can be a tough thing to balance. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, no downtime. No, no. Oh man. You know, same thing, you know, and that also applies to if you have a job when I had, when I had to work. No, it's true. That was, it's not. But I mean, there's. There's working at McDonald's and then there's like doing Marine stuff. Right? Yeah. That's, yeah. That sounds tougher is it physically. Um, sometimes. Honestly, though, sometimes when you look at what, a, what somebody at McDonald's has to put up with, oh, depending yeah. on the weekend, sometimes the weekends yeah, are just yeah. sitting there doing paperwork. So Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Damn. So my favorite memory of, I don't know if you remember this. It was, I remember um, Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor was being vetted. And she was in the news and she had said something offhand that something like, you know, I, I had to work harder than other, the other people in the Supreme Court. And, uh, you know, the conservatives were using that against her. They were pissed. And you asked me, uh, you know, why would she say something like that? And I just gave you like the basic, you know, rundown, like, well, she was poor. She was, you know, she didn't have, you know, food and shelter like everyone else did. So she had yeah. to work harder. That's all she meant. And you and And I was waiting for you to like push back, but you just sort of like, Okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, no, and I and I did because I had that background. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And, but I saw the wheels turning in you, and you know, and I was waiting. You know, I was like, oh, me and Liam are gonna argue now, <laughs> and we didn't. And it was just like, whoa, like this is a person who who listens and who's willing to to engage. You know, and yeah. and I would have been fine if if you wanted to debate too, like because I felt like we had a good relationship oh we did we yeah could... we definitely had some serious debates especially when sure. i was still broadly conservative yeah which you know not anymore but yeah we were we definitely had our you know back and forth over facebook and stuff yeah, like, yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah but like i said i don't like to engage with people who i feel like aren't listening to me or, ju or just or just trying to pound away their points um, yeah that's not it's not a good faith way to engage with anybody like yeah yeah and you just you can't win you know you, no. you just end up 
shouting at each other. But because, um, you know, believe it or not, I, I always felt like I learned a lot from my conservative students and the ones that we, I, I could relate to, you know, because yeah. it's one thing to debate the politics and get all heated. But it's another thing when that debate is in the context of knowing about each other's lives and knowing, yeah. you know, the struggles that we all go through. And so we, you share like a common humanity. And if you start from that point, I think I think it's much more constructive as you listen to each other. Absolutely. You you learn things from another person's perspective that you wouldn't learn otherwise. And I think like when you're talking about people changing their political beliefs, you're never going to change your political beliefs without changing your personal perspective and having experiences that you wouldn't otherwise have. That's really what detonated my conservative beliefs. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Was, so how did that It was serving in Okinawan. It was talking to the Okinawans who I was told wanted us there and we were there to, you know, protect them allegedly from all the aggressors in the region. Mm. And when I went and talked to the construction workers who were working on the armor I worked in, they were like, no, you guys treat us like crap. Like mm. you're, they like me because I was, you know, I was sure. cool with them. But, and I was, you know, I tried to be pretty respectful out in town. I wasn't one of those idiots who would go out and cause problems. But no, broadly speaking, we were seen as occupiers. Yeah. And I, that really shook kind of my my understanding of like all the politics I had been handed. Sure. And then also seeing how a lot of conservatives reacted to when Obama got elected. Right. And how that really brought out a lot of the racism. Yeah. It really, I mean, it was always there, but sure. it really put it to the forefront. Yeah. It kind of gave them undeniable. license to yeah. just, just show it. <laughs> In the same way that it. when Trump got elected, it brought it, certain members of my family. Mm brought out some racist stuff that I had thought they had put behind them. Some truly messed up stuff where I had to get ties with them. Oh, man. So, yeah, and I think that that, I don't think you change your politics without a change in experience. Yeah, well, the experience, but also the right mindset to see the experience. Yeah. Or, there's or a I, lot of guys that go in the Marines and go to Okinawa who, oh, who yeah. see the same things you do, but don't have the same conclusion. No, no, I think you have to be, willing to like accept and learn from somebody else's experience. So I don't just mean your own experience, but you yeah. have to like access somebody else's experience yes. through a relationship or through just genuinely listening to them. Yeah. And I think other than that, I don't think like ultimately you can have all the arguments in the world that you want. Yeah. But I don't think anything's as powerful for changing somebody's politics as that. Sure. I, I This is what we talked about when you came back. I remember yeah. you were kind of shook from I, the I experience. I was very shook. Yeah. And... I was very moved to hear you talk about some of the things you saw and some yeah. things you experienced. Yeah. Um, so from there, you you sort of keep sort of deconstructing the politics and yeah. And by this point, you though had already started at the. the oh Coptic. yeah, I was. I was. Yeah. By this point, like religiously speaking, I wasn't evangelical anymore. But there's, you know, as much as I and I do love the Coptic Church. Yeah. You know, it's very conservative. Yeah. There's there's no there's no denying that, and there's sure. no. And I don't really personally. I don't make apology for that because that's the church. It is what it is, sure. and it's not even my culture. Right. So I'm not going to tell them they're wrong. But I, uh, I obviously, you know, I'm not conservative, and um, but I still was at the time. Mm. So it definitely. Now that I had like kind of deconstructed the uh, the theological and the uh, the religious stuff I had been raised with. Now I was sort of unpacking and kind of moving through the political mm. kind of baggage I was given. Because again, when I was when I was educated, those two things were intrinsically linked. Right. And and, and it's intrinsically linked at APU culture too. Oh, absolutely. Well, so. And that's part of why I fit in so well at first. Yeah. So So what were some of the things that you, 
so were there like events politically or um, things you read that sort of continued on that path to be yeah. an evil liberal? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, not even a liberal. I wouldn't even describe myself as a liberal anyway. Okay, oh yeah. How Broad would you describe yourself? Broadly speaking, I consider myself a uh, libertarian socialist, which is a polite way to say anarchist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's broadly how what I would consider myself now. Sweet. But um, it took, you know, it took me a while to get there. And it was, some of it was reading things. Yeah. Things like Murray Bookchin. Some of it was looking at like history. Mm. Some of it was like looking at current events. I don't know if you remember, but the war in Syria kicked off in sure. around 2012. Right. And when the Syrian state pulled back, there was this um, group of people in this region called Rojava. And they basically had to reconstruct a government because the government pulled out. Right. And they constructed it along... Um, Broadly speaking, a form of anarchism that what I thought was super interesting was that they gave allowance for having conservative Muslim communities, mm -hmm. conservative Christian communities, and broadly secular communities all working and living together in as much harmony as they could. Obviously, there's, you know, there's conflict everywhere, yeah. but much more harmonious and much more egalitarian than you see a lot of other places in the region. So I thought that that was something that was really interested me and really got me interested in that sort of politics because I think it would, you know, broadly speaking, how are you going to make America work? Well, you have to make allowance for people are still going to be conservative. People are still going to be religious here. Yeah. It's, it's our culture. It's not going to change. Yeah. So you have to be able to learn how to live with folks. Yeah. And I think that those kinds of politics, I think, work a lot better for that as we can see in practice. Yeah, so. yeah, especially today. I mean, it'd be a hard sell to say, hey, America, we need to be more like Syria. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> That's not going to yeah. go over real well. No. But, um, but your point is well taken. Yeah. So that pipeline I mentioned earlier that takes conservatives into progressive identities, well, there's apparently another pipe, one that leads a person to Egyptian Coptic orthodoxy and anarchism. Yeah, who knew? Broadly speaking, I'm vehemently against Assad, you know, the dictator of Syria. Yeah. But a lot of Christians in the region aren't because very often, you know, he protected a lot of them. Not always. And, you know, sure. if you step out of line, yeah. you go right to the torture house with everybody else. Yeah. But at least as far as the politics, it's not as clean cut as we'd like it to be. Yeah. Yeah. And no politics are, but Americans have to have their politics so clean cut. And or they think it's clean. Yeah, at least they think it is. <laughs> the yeah, they're, they're, the their perception is, has to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people don't realize how truly messy and how unclear so much of the politics, you know, on the margins is. Yeah. Outside of our little imperial sphere. Yeah. Or even within our imperial sphere, people yeah. don't. People don't like engaging with. I think a lot of nuance, especially when you come from a faith tradition that specifically tries to obliterate nuance. Yeah. And has to have an answer for everything. Yeah. And that was one of the things that attracted me most about the Coptic Church. Because there are certain questions you can ask where the, your, your, the answer will literally be, it's a mystery and you don't fully understand it. Wow. And to me, that was just like groundbreaking, that you could have that answer. Like, I didn't even realize that was an option on the test. Well, yeah. I mean, and for my community, we embrace the mysteries of, of life. So that really jives with, yeah. with, with my mindset of yeah. like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm okay yeah. with yeah. not having all the answers. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, that's a, that's a big step away from evangelical. It was a huge step and it really freed me up to be able to 
think through questions more fully yeah. and to arrive at, at least I think now, better answers. Yeah, even if that answer is... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Let's let's uh, let's not know together. Yeah, let's yeah, let's you let's, know figure out what we can what we can do together to solve our problem and accept that we're not going to have a clean perfect solution for either of us, but do what we can. Yeah. So, oh, gives I almost feel like hope for a second right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um man. Okay, so uh you you're back at APU. Yeah. You have like another year and a half to go or two years well, ago? Well, two years because my last semester was just an absolute train wreck. Oh. Like I, I, I basically fell apart. Like I couldn't hang. Like oh. it, was, it was real bad. And I had tensions at home and stuff with my family. Okay. It was just not great. So, well, you're going through all these changes. Yeah. Yeah. You're going on quite a ride. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I ended up having to redo that, like, that whole last semester, but yeah. I did. And a lot of those classes I took, I retook. Yeah. And I did a lot better. And I was very happy with that. I had, I had my head on my shoulders a lot better. When I came back, I was in a lot better place mentally. Hmm. I I wasn't drinking as much because you know when you're a commuter, they don't care if you drink. <laughs> yeah, you're allowed to yeah. off campus exactly if you're of age. Yeah. yeah. So and you know Marine Corps is uh, a very drinking branch of the yeah. service. Okay. So <laughs> oh, so more so than Army Navy. Well, uh, no, I, it's all about the same. Okay. But <laughs> the military. But, yeah, the military as a whole. Like you know, you can't do drugs, but they they don't care if you drink as long as you don't drive. Yeah. So, or show up to for duty. Uh, yeah, or show up to do drink. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I was definitely doing a lot better when I came back. Okay. Yeah. So you graduate with a degree in what did you say? English um, with a writing emphasis. Oh no. Yeah. That was my degree at UC San Diego. <laughs> the hell do you do with English and writing? Hmm. And that's the problem I ran into. I um. I wanted to be a teacher eventually. I, I've settled on that. But, yeah. you know, again, the money thing, even with the GI Bill, yeah. to get a teaching credential in California, you got to, you know, do yeah. your student teaching and it's hard to find a program that'll pay you for that. Yeah. So it's, it's I, like slave labor mm -hmm. doing the student teaching. And I couldn't swing that. So eventually I just said, okay, well, I can't do that. So then I started doing like other odd jobs and stuff. And I eventually ended up working for uh, Blizzard Entertainment, the game company. Oh, yeah. I, we moved to Texas for a while. My wife and I, we were married by then. We, um, we got married shortly after we graduated and, um, yeah, I eventually, when I was working there, the pay was terrible. What were you doing? For I was, um, I was working in customer service. Okay. I was like, what is a lit writing? You weren't writing code. No. I assume. Oh no, 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 no. I was just customer service. So, you know, uh, talking to people using my writing skills and it, it definitely helped. I was kind of hoping you would say you were helping design the narrative structure of the. That's <laughs> where I wanted games. to go. That's oh, actually what I wanted self, to do to eventually. The, yeah. yeah. Oh, game yeah. design. And oh, game. yeah. Or game writing. Game writing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would have been sweet. But it didn't work out. And yeah. then I ended up, um, my father-in-law, my wife's husband told me um, a friend of his needed employees for their, uh, for a big uh, forklift uh, manufacturer. They, uh, they sent out service techs to go fix their forklifts. And I'm like, well, I, I, I went through years of college. I went through the military so I wouldn't have to be a mechanic like my dad was. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to go be a mechanic. And that's what I do now. Yeah, I fix forklifts. I'm, you know, I'm, I think I'm the only forklift mechanic with a degree in English. Wow. <laughs> that should be like a, a YouTube series or a reality right? show or something. Yeah. And, you know, as much as people want to say, oh, your degree is useless, half of my degree is convincing people of things that they need. Yeah. 
And most of convincing is just writing. Yeah. It's it's all it's Rhetoric all related to composition. Exactly. Professor so. Albaugh probably lended some uh, oh, abilities yeah. there. He did a hundred percent. His uh, his composition courses and his rhetoric courses were very helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's we're deviating, but education right now, the colleges have to promise some kind of like financial payoff for their degree. But the liberal arts, you know, that's just teaching people how to be people. How yeah, to, how to how to navigate yeah. life. Um. Now, this doesn't always translate to making money, though, and that's the problem with mm. the education is up against. Is yeah. I think a lot of that's just it's one of the many problems of capitalism yeah. where all the profit margins have to be run so tight yeah. to maximize shareholder value that you can't invest in people anymore. Yeah, I went into my trade with no trade school background. I had some experience working on RVs from when I was a kid, Yeah, but um, I didn't really have a trade school background, so I had to kind of learn on the fly. And I'm lucky that I was able to get into a company that was able to invest that in me. Did you have to get like a certification for? Nope, nothing. Fun? I just, because uh, I, I, I was able, they took, they gave me a test <laughs> and I was able to, I studied, I grabbed a uh, textbook on auto electronics and taught myself DC electrical work over a couple, over like a month. And then I took their test and I passed. So. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I had a background in it. Sure. Like I said, I, I grew up working around and on RVs okay. yeah. and those are brought mostly a DC system. So I was able to, you know, figure it out. So but. weirdly, your background coupled with studying literature. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Reading comprehension. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, definitely like uh, learning learning how to study and how to learn. Yeah. That's what you learn in college more than anything else. Sure. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. God willing, if, if, they, if they did the job right. Yeah. Amazing. So, yeah. Wow. So as you look back at APU now, one of the things I'm asking... Well, people just started saying it. No, but now I'm asking, how 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 would you describe APU to someone who didn't know what it was? Like, I went to APU. Oh, what's that? I would describe it as broadly speaking, a uh, you know, an evangelical university that puts the evangelicalism ahead of the university. Mm. So yeah, depending on what um what your major is, the English department there is great. I cannot recommend it enough. If you want to learn English, APU is a good school for it. Nice. I think, still, with the professors that are still there, yeah. I think they're great. Um, but I don't know if I was going to learn something else. I don't think I'd pick APU. Mm. Certainly not. Um, yeah, certainly not religion, because obviously I, I have serious disagreements with evangelicalism and yeah. how they approach a lot of things. Now, but, apparently, some Bible profs are good at what they do, and they they are separate from evangelicalism. They really just yeah. are teaching with them. And then that's what causes a lot of kids to spin out from from evangelicalism. Absolutely. And, you know, there's philosophy. I know there's some philosophy professors that were when I was there who were um, Eastern Orthodox. So not my branch of the Orthodox Church, oh, but, yeah, but yeah. it's a very similar branch. Sure. So, yeah, there is, you know, there's some diversity there in certain departments. Yeah. But I had, you know, I had overall a good experience at APU. I wouldn't be the person that I am today without it. Yeah. But it was also, you know, it's not for working class kids. Mm. It's not for people who aren't evangelical. Yeah. Because yeah, there are liturgical chapels there, but it's yeah, it's like the Walmart version of liturgy. It's did not. You, did you try going? I to tried, the, yeah, yeah, and it was not good. I mean, oh, yeah. it's not bad, but it's still very Protestant. It. I I peeked into one once, and it felt like introduction to liturgy. Yeah. For, for evangelicals yeah. seeking something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good way to describe it. Because I felt bad for the Catholic kids. Oh yeah, 
at APU and even there's Catholic faculty. Yeah. They're just treated as such it's very second much a, class yes. people. <laughs> it is. And in fact, you know, my wife who was my fiance at the time. We would, um, cause you know, we don't do Jesus is my boyfriend worship music in the Orthodox <laughs> church. We pray. Really? It's, you don't have a huge praise band with a stage not and Not too much. And no, that's and... that's not really that's not really our jam. Yeah. Our jam is more like chanting from, you know, 1500 years ago. <laughs> that's more our jam. Oh yeah. Old school. Very yeah. old school. So, <laughs> we would um there's a book of prayers you pray at set times of the day in our church. So, we would pick the hour that was closest to that chapel and we pray it together while everybody else was singing, we just, you know, quietly pray with each other. And then the chapel monitors told us to stop. They told you to stop? Yeah. I mean, we were on our phone, so I, I understand. Ugh. Like, broadly speaking, I understand why. But I showed my phone to the chapel monitor, and I, and I told her, like, look, we're not we're not Protestant. We're just praying. Yeah. We're Christian, but we're not, you know, this kind. Yeah. And I like, know I'm sorry. You have to put it away. And it just blew my mind that I would stop from praying yeah. in APU stop chapel. Stop that. Yeah. Praying stuff. Yeah. Don't, don't do it like that. You got to do it like us. Yeah. And that's, if I was going to sum up APU, it's that. Yeah. Don't do it like that. You got to do it like us. And that's not a good way to approach life, I don't think. And it's yes. not a good way to approach education. Many things. <laughs> yeah, especially education. Yeah. Where education ought to be learning about the world as a whole and learning other people's perspectives. Oof. So. Yeah, and evangelical culture tries to shield people from other perspectives. Yeah, for fear absolutely. Of, of, you know, if you learn about that, you're going to become that. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're a commuter... For, you know, certain times when I was a commuter, some of my family problems was like, I was living out of my car. And it makes it very mm -hmm. hard to get to chapel. And it mm -hmm. makes it very hard if you don't make it to chapel and you got to pay your chapel probation. And it's like, okay, am I going to eat? Am I going to pay for chapel probation? Like that can, that, thank God I didn't, I ended up not having to make that choice. I was able to get my stuff together and get, you know, situated before I had to make that choice. But there was a point where it was getting close to that. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. You were, you were looming toward yeah. uh, chapel probation. Yeah. No, I was on chapel probation. But oh, you I was were on to, it. I was able to get back into a better living situation before yeah. I ended up having to pay that fee that they make you pay. At what point do you have to pay the fee? So you miss 10 and then Yeah, and then you got to like, yeah, and then you got to like write an essay. And, yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's hard to get to chapel when you don't have a, a home. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or, you're, you know, you're hiding out in the dorms and crashing on your buddy's dorm room floor. Yeah. So... No, yeah. The assumption is, you know, you you have this wonderful life, this wonderful middle class yeah. existence, and you're just happy to be at APU to, mm -hmm. to participate yeah. in all these godly things. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, you mentioned Eastern Orthodox. Did you did you visit any Eastern Orthodox churches? I did. Yeah, some of my very close friends that I grew up with ended up converting to the Eastern Orthodox Church, so I'm familiar with it. And in fact, when I went to I went to San Francisco, we were talking about that before we started yeah, recording. Yeah. When I went there, I went with my friend who was on a pilgrimage to go see the relics of a saint up in San Francisco, Saint John oh. of Shanghai. So yeah, I've been I've been to a lot of okay. Eastern Orthodox churches. I, as much as I'm not Eastern Orthodox, I absolutely love their tradition, and I am very much friendly with a lot of Eastern Orthodox people. In a nutshell, what what's the diff? What are the differences? Um, it's gets into very technical Christological differences. Okay, that's that's what started the schism, but it was also a lot about politics and a lot about culture and a lot about um, yeah, just you know, fifteen hundred years ago politics, hmm. and now in the current day, you're seeing moves towards more towards ecumenicism, which I think is pretty neat and more kind of resolving those schisms. Oh. It's it might God willing happen within our lifetime, but. Who knows? The Orthodox Church changes very slowly, but all of the Orthodox churches sure. do. So, but yeah, the, it's 
there's slight differences about how both churches see the nature of Christ and how they phrase it. Yeah. And that was kind of the what lit the match for that particular schism, which then, you know, you, you fast forward 500 years, then you have the split between the Roman church and then the Eastern Orthodox church. And that's how you get the three broad churches. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well done. That was like the perfect Wikipedia yeah. explanation. <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's one of the things, and that's part of what they teach you in your, you know, your catechumen's I mean, class. I mean, just culturally, were you ever just tempted to switch over to... to I was. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, just because, it, you know, it's tough. And a lot of the Eastern Orthodox churches are a little bit, you know, a little easier to be a convert in. Because yeah. it's more Americanized yeah. in a lot of It's an easier respects. test. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's easier. But, um, you know, there's certain, you know, Coptic clergy and Coptic people within the community who, you know, really made me feel welcome. And yeah. So, yeah, so you you felt like you belonged in that? You know, not that. fully. And, you know, I, I never will. I, I'm never going to have the same cultural sure. access and the same of cultural course, yeah. fluency that somebody who, you know, that's not just their religion, it's their culture. Right. Because, you know, the Coptic people are a minority in Egypt and a ver- right. very yeah, persecuted right. minority. Oh, yeah. Um, but so I'm never going to have that. I'm not. That's I'm a, I'm a white guy in America. That's not me. Right. But as much as I can be a part of that community. Yeah. And it, it's not. Um, it's my religion and it's not entirely my culture. Right. I'm, you know, I'm a visitor in that culture. I pass through that culture. In the same way that, you know, a lot of people have to treat American culture. Yeah. But. But you you feel accepted by yeah. the people, you know. Not everybody. Certain oh, certain older Egyptian people. You get some people. side eye from all the older guys. Yeah, but even then, you know, eventually you win those people over too. Yeah. Well, just by showing if up. anyone could, you could. Yeah. <laughs> With a nod to the movie My Cousin Vinny, it has been argued by this podcast that evangelical schools, if students really learn and pay attention lead those students to a progressive identity. Does this argument hold water? No, the podcast is wrong. So hey, APU, are you listening? Not only do untold numbers of your students deconstruct to become progressive Christians and agnostics and atheists, all because of taking your courses, and attending your chapel, apparently another logical response to your pseudo-theology and racist prosperity gospel bullshit is, checks notes, Egyptian Coptic Orthodoxy. Yeah, I'm as shocked as you. In all seriousness, I'm so grateful to have met and gotten to know Liam. He is a constant reminder to me that people are wonderfully complex and that compassion for the world and opposition to bigotry can take many forms. Liam is a white man who was extremely conservative at one point, and he was a Marine. The fact that he has chosen to follow his theological beliefs into a space where he is now the extreme racial minority, well, that is inspiring, regardless of how you feel about the religion or religion in general. He has lost friends and close family members because of his beliefs in social and racial justice. In a world where evangelicals choose a church based on how good the worship band is or how cool the sneakers are of the head pastor, Liam found his faith centered in a culture as far from his own as could be, but he still went in. With humility and a search for truth, he went in. 
we could all learn from that. APU played a significant role in Liam's journey, and that makes me smile. And add to all that, he is now a forklift mechanic with a degree in English literature and writing. That's all just so cool. So thanks for joining us this week, and thanks again to Liam. We actually got to sit face-to-face, and this was my first in-person interview. Uh, I I set up a little studio at my house, and we social distanced, sort of. (laughs) Um, And so that's why the sound is actually uh, better today. So join us again next week for another episode of Chapel Probation. This episode was brought to you by assumptions because uh, it makes an ass of you and options so deep.